Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of October 2010, entitled The Agony of Christ, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 39, read down through verse 46. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word beginning in Luke chapter 2, chapter 22 and verse 39. And he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. When he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation." Father, we thank you again today, Lord, for this time that you have given us together, for each one that you've allowed to be here, and Lord, for those who are not able to be. Father, now as we look into your word, we realize our great need, that Lord, if any of us are to gain anything here today, first of all, Lord, the obstacles need to be removed, and if there be things that would take our minds and our attentions away from that which you have for us, we pray, Lord, that those things would be put aside we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would make the words alive into our hearts, that you would speak to us as only you can. And Father, that we would be receptive and responsive to that which you have for us. For it's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. He 
quicksand, the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known i'd stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling but he bids me go through the voice of woe his voice to me is calling and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other as ever known. As we come around the Lord's table today, it's there when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the garden himself that we read about in the verses that we have before us. I'd like to redirect your attention to one verse in particular which is in verse 44 of our reading, which says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down the ground. We come around the Lord's table this morning to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so sometimes just like so many things, we find here that the Lord Jesus Christ was going through tremendous, probably beyond our even comprehension and imagination, agonies before he ever got to the cross to be nailed to it. Sometimes things can become so automated to us that we fail to remember. And as we look here this morning, I just simply want us to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for you and I, that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might have life 
instead of death. You know, it's a free gift to you and I. But the price that he paid was tremendous. And let us not forget, even as we sang earlier, lest we forget Gethsemane, lest we forget his agony. The Bible says here, and being in an agony, the only time in all of your Bible that that word appears, agony, it literally is agonia in the Greek, which is the only time that is translated into our Bibles, the only place in Scripture to describe what our Lord Jesus Christ was going through in the garden. I don't think that's coincidence that when we compare the agony that he faced there in the garden, when the Bible says, and being in an agony, that there is nothing else that we can compare to what he was going through for you and I there in the garden. Surely, we can all relate to at some point in our lives being a bit down and discouraged. Surely, as we think that there are times when we may feel loneliness and feel like that we're all alone and that there's just not really anybody else there with us. We use the, the saying sometimes of feeling like we have the, the weight of the world on our shoulders. I just want you to remember this morning that those times when you have felt your lowest, when you felt your greatest burdens, when you felt your greatest loneliness, when you add all of that together in all of your life, we don't even begin to approach what Jesus Christ was going through here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why, preacher? Why was he in such agony in the garden when he hadn't even gotten to the cross yet? The Bible says here that, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. You'll notice that Luke's the only one that shares with us what's taking place here in verse 43 and verse 44. The verse before tells us that there was actually an angel came to help give him strength. You see, sometimes if we're not careful, we can forget that because of recognizing and realizing that Jesus Christ was God, he was completely God that we can let it slip that he was also completely man. He felt the burden. He felt the loneliness. He felt the agony that he was going through there in the garden. He was carrying a burden that literally is not just your burden. Yours, mine, the person beside you, and every other human being that's ever lived and that ever will live. You see, Jesus was there for each and every one of us. He was carrying the burden of all of our sins. The Bible says, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Some would just simply take and spiritualize that and say that it didn't really happen, <laughs> that it's just an expression. 
But the Bible says it happened. And I won't even try to pronounce there is actually a physical condition where this, this, this does take place. It can happen when the, a person is under such extreme anxiety that is under such extreme pressure that literally the, the little blood vessels begin to rupture and the blood begins to come out through their sweat glands. You see, what we need to recognize and realize, this is not something that is unusual. If we know it to be a genuine medical condition in our day that people on their own can reach a point that they can be carrying such a burden, burden that they can be in such agony themselves that a condition like this can happen. Do we not understand that Jesus, as he was there as a man in the flesh, what he was feeling when the Bible says that he was in agony, when he was carrying literally the sins of the world, when he had the burden, the weight of the world truly upon him, he said, I just want to give you four simple reasons this morning. And folks, that doesn't mean there aren't others. But just to help us remember what Jesus was going through, why was Jesus in such agony that what he was going through, what he was feeling, feeling of all the things that we read and see in scriptures, the, the worst of the times, God chooses this one time to call what Jesus was going through agony. Agony. Why? I believe, first of all, because he foresaw the subversion that was about to take place right there in the garden. The betrayal of one of his own. You see, Jesus already knew that one of these 12 that was walking the closest with him on this earth, that one of them was about to betray him in the worst possible way. Judas had been one of the 12 from the beginning. He had been with the Lord Jesus Christ through his entire ministry with his apostles upon this earth. He had seen the power of God manifest through Christ. He had seen the miracles performed over and over again. And yet he was still there as a lost unbeliever. John chapter 6, verse 64, Jesus said, But there are some of you that believe not, talking to his own apostles. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He knows our hearts. He knew the hearts of these. As he was there in the garden, as his own apostles, he was carrying the burden of the world upon himself, and yet here those closest to him were just nodding off to sleep, just going to sleep. <laughs> yet he was carrying this, and he knew. He knew the betrayal. 
Jesus, Jesus loves his own. We can ask ourselves, was Judas one of his own? Well, he was in creation, but not in the recreation. Yes, he belonged to God through the creation of his flesh, but he was never recreated as a new creation, as a new creature in Christ. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was an unbeliever. Jesus Christ takes no pleasure, the Bible teaches us, no pleasure whatsoever in the damnation of a soul. I believe that Jesus felt the same thing you and I would feel if we were being betrayed by one that were so close to us, one that was supposed to be a friend, one that claimed all of these things and yet was about to betray you. But of course, it wasn't just the betrayal of Judas, but he saw the betrayal of all those down through the centuries. All those that would claim with their words to know him, to accept him as their Lord and as their Savior. But yet, when push came to shove, they would be ready to betray him in a moment. Jesus knew he knew he would be betrayed into the hands of these sinners. Of course, we know that he could have stopped it, but he chose not to. He allowed it to happen. You see, the agony that Christ was feeling there in the garden was, first of all, because he foresaw the subversion the denial, the betrayal of one of those closest to him. Not only did he foresee the subversion, but he foresaw the solitudeness. He was going to be alone in this. There was going to be nobody else there with him. The solitudeness, when even he could foresee the denial by Peter. Luke 22, verses 33 and 34, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Peter had good intentions. He even had a lot of confidence. But Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. The morning's not going to come, Peter. That cock's not going to crow in the morning to you, not once, but three times you've denied me. Promised he never would. We can read later in this very same chapter where he did. Verse 59, and about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, 
Of a truth, this fellow was with him as he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spoke, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter realized what he had done. We're told in verse 62, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He knew what he had done. He felt the guilt for his sin, for his denial. See, as the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the garden, he already saw this. He saw one of those that was the closest to him, actually denying that he even knew him and had anything to do with him. Not only saw the denial of Peter, but he saw the desertion of all of his apostles that forsake him. When they come to get him in the garden, they'd be gone. Find that Jesus was in agony. Jesus was in agony because he, first of all, he foresaw the subversion, the betrayal of one of those nearest to him. He saw the solitudinous, the denial by Peter, the desertion of his apostles. Folks, he foresaw the sin. Foresaw the sin. The weight of the sins of the whole world upon one that knew no sin, that it not only had not sinned, but that could not sin. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, the one that knew no sin, was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. You can't get any more right than that. You see, today as we shortly come and receive of this bread and this cup around the Lord's table, there is nothing in this bread or this cup that can save you from your sins today. It's not this that will break down the barriers, that will do away with the sin. Preparation for this table might bring you closer to God, that you're prepared to take of this table. But there's nothing in the bread and the cup is to remind us of the one, the only one, that can truly give us communion with God. We find that we also see in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Looking at our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the only one that would take away the sins of the whole world. Of course, the prophet Isaiah in that familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 53, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in the death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Why was what Jesus Christ going through in the Garden of Gethsemane, the only place in the Word of God where such agony could be described that one was going through? Because Jesus Christ there in the Garden, He foresaw the subversion of His own, the betrayal of one of the closest to Him. He foresaw the solitudinous of having to go through all that he was going through alone, that those nearest to him would deny him and desert him when it came to the crunch. He foresaw the sin, which I'm convinced, folks, there's not a one of us that can even begin to grasp what it was really like for the sinless one to take on the sin of the whole world upon himself. He foresaw that. He already knew that he was there as he was there in the garden preparing for what was coming. All of these. And yet, I'm convinced there was one other 
that goes hand in hand with this. As he was there in the garden, he saw the separation. He saw himself. You've got to remember, Jesus Christ did not come into being when he was born a virgin in this world. Jesus Christ is eternal. And he is one of the eternal, in the eternal Godhead. For eternity, he had never been separated from God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit. The great three in one. But yet he foresaw that hanging upon that cross and bearing the sins of the world, he saw a separation that he would be separated from God the Father. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, we read, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? There's a lot of things. Some would only want to spiritualize it, as with so many other things. I want you to grasp this morning. Jesus Christ truly was forsaken on the cross by God the Father when he became sin for you and I. The eternal God was separated like it had never, ever been before as he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We can't even begin to understand that and grasp that. But as Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in an agony like no agony that's ever been upon any human being on the face of this earth before. He foresaw the subversion of his own as he would be betrayed into the hands of the sinners. He foresaw his own. These that had walked the closest to him, he, saw, he, he foresaw them denying him and deserting him. He foresaw the sin of the world truly upon him. He foresaw the separation as he became sin and was separated from God the Father. Folks, what Jesus Christ did was sufficient for all. Everyone has not accepted that free gift, but it's not because of any insufficiency in the sacrifice. The sacrifice was sufficient for you. I promise you that. But if you're not willing to humble yourself as that sinner, if you're not willing to receive the free gift by understanding that the only reason that God Almighty can forgive you of your sins 
is because Jesus Christ himself took your sins, died for your sins while he was on the cross. The only reason today. But he did. As we come around this table to remember Jesus Christ today, we receive of this bread to remember that body that was broken for us. You see, his was the only sinless body that ever was. <laughs> he was the only one. But yet, he willingly. Again, we see the ripping apart here as he's praying to his Father. Lord, if, 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 if this cup can be taken away from me, why? Because we can't understand what, as a man, that he was going to go through to become sin, to take our sin. And yet, as we see that same humanness side of him, we see that the most important thing, not my will but thine be done, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't want to die in your place. It means that in the turmoil of the greatest agony that's ever been felt by anybody that's ever lived, a weight that is beyond our comprehension, an agony that we can't even begin to grasp, that even then it was the will of God that he wanted to see accomplished. That was more important than all the agony he could face. We come around this table to remember him, his body. And we take of this cup to remember his blood. Say, preacher, how do I know if I should take of that bread and that cup or not? Well, I want to tell you first of all this morning, you need to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're saved and on your way to glory, that that blood has been applied to your soul because you don't make light of what we're doing here today. Simple truth is, you need to know beyond doubt that you've been saved. I believe that God gave two ordinances to the church. One is that one which we do here today, which is known as the Lord's table. The other one is that of baptism. Your first step of obedience as a Christian should be to be baptized, not so that you'll be a Christian. For by grace are you saved through faith, not the water. There's something bad wrong. On the one hand, in your heart, you say by faith you're accepting him, and yet you don't want to be identified with him. He says, if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you before the Father. Baptism is, is important. You cannot be an obedient child of God. You're simply disobeying God. The very first thing that he asks of you after putting your faith and trust in him is that you follow him through the waters of baptism, that you identify yourself. Jesus Christ set the example himself. I'm saying to you here today, before you worry about taking this bread and this cup, you're a child of God. You need to follow him in the waters of baptism. Folks, you need to be part of a New Testament church. Now, churches are made up of people, not buildings. The only perfect person that ever lived, they nailed to a cross. 
The ordinances were given to the church. The New Testament church is what Jesus Christ is building himself. It's what his work is being carried out through. Now, you need to, first of all, as we've seen, you need to be in unity with God. You're making a mockery of this table. You're not in unity with God, and yet you go ahead and take of that bread. He says, examine yourself. He wants the real communion. He doesn't want something that's artificial just because of some religious ceremony that you go through that doesn't really mean anything because the heart's not right anyway. He says, examine yourself. He says that if you judge yourself, then you'll not be judged. But if you're not willing to, it's better to be chastened of God than to be condemned with the world. You need to be in unity with God. And as this New Testament church here at Bethel administers this ordinance today of the Lord's table, you need to be in unity of us. You might be not a member of this local church, maybe somewhere else. The truth is, be making a mockery if you came here and joined with this group just as they did in Corinth. <laughs> and you were at odds with all these different things. And you need to at least be in unity, be in agreement with the doctrines and teachings of this church. And we invite you to join with us if you know that everything is right between you and God and that in your heart you can be in unity with this group as they come together around this table. Folks, there's nothing magical here. It's something that should be very solemn on the one hand as we examine ourselves, and yet it should bring great joy because as we examine ourselves, as we're sure that things are right, that we truly are in communion with God and with our brothers and sisters, there can be a joy. But there can be a, a sweetness in this communion, a fellowship. The Bible tells you to examine yourself to see if you're worthy. None of us are worthy in ourselves. The only worthiness that will allow us to come to this table is the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, today it's not because you're perfect, but it's because you're willing to deal with your imperfections and you recognize that it's only in Jesus Christ that they can be dealt with. And you can come to this table knowing that it's under the blood, knowing that there's not something there that's separating you from God. Father, Lord, I pray now in the hearts of each one that is here this morning. Lord, I pray that if there be one in our midst that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray earnestly, Father, that you would show them in their hearts their great need. But Lord, not just that they have a need, but that the answer is at hand because Jesus Christ bore their sins for them at Calvary. Lord, I pray that as we once again today come around this table, 
I pray, Lord, that it might be a time of sweet communion. Lord, I pray if there are those here that, Lord, if there's a problem, a problem in their life, not only between them and you, but between a brother or sister in Christ here, then, Lord, we pray that you would help them this day, Lord, to make that right, because that's what's breaking the fellowship. That's what's taking away their joy. Lord, I pray that as we take of this bread and this cup, that as we think upon him whom is to him that we owe everything, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that as we remember him and we remember what he accomplished for us, Lord, that the desires of our heart would be to love him, to live our lives for him. Lord, to live in a way that he could be seen through us, that he might continue to accomplish his work on this earth through us today. Now, Father, we do give you thanks as we first of all, Lord, prepare to take of the bread and then the cup that follows. Lord, we thank you for it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.